Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, this company has been around for man, like over a hundred years. And these guys make loads for just about any bird that uh, you can hunt. And because it's spring, that means it's turkey season. And they have turkey loads for 10 gauge all the way to four tens and everything in between. And they call it their federal heavyweight TSS, right? This is a, a heavyweight tungsten super shot load. And that's their turkey load. Right. And it says here that their tungsten alloy material is 18 grams per cubic centimeter density. That means it is 22 percent higher than standard tungsten and 56 percent more than lead. And what this uh, long story short, what this does, it, it allows that load to travel at higher velocities for longer distances. Right. And so that makes it a very consistent and very deadly turkey shot so make sure that you guys go and check out the turkey shots over at federalpremium.com and pick them up wherever you buy your ammunition these guys are all over the place and also be sure to go to federalpremium.com for their blog and their podcast my name is clay newcomb and i'm the host of the bear hunting magazine podcast I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear. Well, in, in our family, when my grandfather died, uh, we started a tradition that anybody in our family that was a hound hunter when they die, we bring the hunting horn to the graveside service and the last thing we do before we bury them is my son blows that horn and it's symbolic to us that as we lay them to rest that we're calling their dogs in for the last time. recently had the opportunity to travel to East Tennessee and to sit down with my friend Tracy Jones. Tracy Jones is a houndsman, longtime houndsman, and Tracy took me over to a man's house that he deeply respects and, uh, and I do now as well after I met him. An older gentleman, 85 years old, by the name of Eldridge Cutchall. Eldridge is a longtime Tennessee mountain bear hunter, and we we had a conversation with Eldridge, 
So the way this podcast lays out is a little bit different than most in that there's a, Tracy and I will have a conversation privately before that, that, that starts the podcast off, and then we go into about a 32-minute interview with Eldridge. This podcast is special, and you're going to enjoy it. Check out W Hunting Supply. Buddy Woodbury and his team, these guys and gals, are dedicated to the preservation of hound sports. They're also dedicated to incredible customer service and having the best selection and best prices for all your Garmin products, all your hound-related needs. So check out W Hunting Supply for any of your dog-related stuff that you're going to need. Hey, there's also something pretty cool that happened. First Light, our buddies at First Light, the clothing company, produced a film called Nukem. Yeah, they came to Arkansas, and they made a film about me. And in the film, we squirrel hunt on mules, we coon hunt, and we uh, we deer hunt a little bit, and they they kind of introduced my family. It's just a super well-done film. I mean, like, the quality of the film is incredible. It's done by Jordan Riley, Taylor Coleman of Capture Creative. And uh, you can check all you can check that film out. It's it's up right now at firstlight.com or Firstlight's YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, you could you could support uh, what we're doing here at Bear Hunting Magazine by checking out that film, leaving some comments on it. And uh, I was I thought it was pretty pretty important, pretty cool that that we got a hat tip from a big national company like Firstlight. I mean, there's hound stuff inside of there, and and uh, and I and I hope the film just represents the the hunting lifestyle that a lot of us lead that that listen to this podcast. So check out our buddies at FirstLight.com. We just got back from Eldridge Cutshaw's house. Uh, Eldridge is 85, and uh, a guy like him would have just had a he would have had to have been an incredible athlete really is that a good way to describe it to hunt these mountains like he had to tracy yes sir i think so eldridge um like i told you before i was too young to get to hunt with him and some of the others a whole lot up until you know i became a teenager but my grandpa my dad and a lot of the other men around here hunted with him and always had a great deal of respect for him Mm-hmm. So when we talked a month or so ago and you were telling me you want wanting to do some podcasts with some of the old mountain bear hunters that were the real deal. Yeah. I was very glad that you were able to get over today and talk to, to Eldridge because he, he was the real deal. Yeah. When you say that, what do you mean? Well, I mean, he knew what he was doing and he did it. Yeah. Yeah. He was just good at what he did. Yeah. You... A minute ago, you said, I mean, Eldridge was a humble man. He didn't, uh, you know, he's he's getting up in years that he didn't, he, he wasn't trying to tell us what a great bear hunter he was, humble man. And, uh, you know, a guy like that probably never knew even how unique his life was inside of what he did and how he focused on on bear hunting and and the toughness that it took and i mean some of these guys probably never even knew that what they did wasn't normal is that a good way to describe it well he was raised in the mountains so what other people would consider to be extraordinary and i believe the average person if they followed a man like eldridge cutjaw or Layman rice or another man i knew by the name of carson landers and other men that i could name who were exceptionally hard goers in the mountains if they followed them for a day um i believe they would come away understanding that these were extraordinary men in the environment that they grew up in yeah but those men grew up in the environment and it wasn't extraordinary to them yeah i mean eldridge said his dad took him to the top of uh camp creek bald what a lot of people call viking mountain and dropped them off when they were boys and they coon hunted out the mountain out the appalachian trail 
and down off the side of the mountain to their home place. I mean, that's rough country through there. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I like what you said there, that they they were tough men. I, 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 it escaped me what you just said, but they that, that for the area, they they did what it took to be successful and they were and they and they they took it serious and um yeah well i I always have the utmost respect for some of these men because everybody ought to be honest with themselves and i think i can say that i probably enjoy bear hunting as about as much as anybody but i don't consider myself on the same level or anywhere close to it as some of the people that i had the opportunity to grow up around Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean a man like eldridge and again i mentioned layman rice and carson landers and my dad was pretty tough and i mean i could name uh other people i mean i I, there's a long list i could name i hate to do that i just named a few people that a lot of people around here would say yeah they were they were really tough in the woods well i i'd Never put myself in that category because that would be a lie. But I recognize it when I see it. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know what I think is is unique is a guy like Mr. Eldridge is truly the last of a breed. There will never be another generation of people barring an apocalypse and we lose our technology. I mean – he grew up before GPS. He told us that he didn't have electricity in his house. He, mm-hmm. he, he, he grew up running through these mount, mountains, chasing these dogs on foot. And uh, that produced a certain skill level that it, you, you can't attain unless you have to do that. I mean, I have no problem. I coon hunt in Arkansas. I have no problem saying that if it weren't for garments, I probably wouldn't be a coon hunter. Right. I mean, we coon hunted – Without those, when I was in high school, and we didn't know any different, but today, it, it it's changed me, and, you know. And and in some ways, there's some positive to that, but in a lot of ways, there's there's negative. So what we're just saying is that these guys were a different breed, and there's there's not a lot of them left. Well, I think we're in a position right now, at least here in the area where we live where the old-timers, the real, what I call the real hardcore bear hunters that, you know, lived and breathed in the mountains, and that was their sort of their natural environment, they're fading away, which is why I thought it was important for you to go talk to Eldridge. And I know maybe another man or two that I'd like for you to be able to talk to along those lines. And then there's some men that I know personally now, and I'll hold off on mentioning names, they probably wouldn't want me to mention their names that grew up with those people and they're really, were really tough. I mean, really tough in the mountains, but they're now hitting their late sixties, early seventies. And not, not too many men can really handle the mountains outside of their late fifties. Yeah. The 60s, mid-60s, that really pull. I'm not that you can't go to a tree. Right. But there's a difference between a man at his peak when he's 35 versus time you get 60 in these mountains. Like, you can go someplace where it's flat, like, you know, Wisconsin or Michigan or other places, and it's really great hunting, but you don't have the elevation climbs. Yeah. And it's the elevation that wires on you, I think, when you get older. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what do you think the big takeaway from all this is? Because you know, I think about it. I, I've I've always appreciated older people. I mean, ever mm-hmm. since I was a little kid, I, I, I just appreciated it. I think I got I think my dad instilled that in me. He 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 turned our gaze towards older people and I saw him give them respect and so aside from just a hat tip to an older man that's been there before, what can we take away from these guys' lives, Tracy? Uh, aside from just yes, they were, yes, they were tough. Yes, they had to endure hardship. We're not going to go back and hunt the way they did. Just like I said, I mean, nobody's going to get rid of their garments. Nobody's going to. So what's what's the what's the takeaway? 
like for for us? Well, I think the only thing that makes life worth living is for some things to be sacred. Like the relationship between a man and his wife is sacred. So that makes life worth living. If that relationship isn't sacred, then it takes the value out of it. Um, your relationship with God, if you have a personal relationship with him, that's sacred to you. That's why you don't want to dishonor that relationship right. with God. And uh, I think part of the sacredness of life is honoring your elders. Any society that doesn't have a huge respect for its ancients mm -hmm. is basically doomed because you, you learn neither from their successes nor you, you, you don't learn from their failures. Mm. So you're going to have the same problems that they had without any recourse. I mean, you're not going to learn from them whatsoever. Right. Last night, last night I was dealing with a, at church. I was in a passage where David was running from Saul. And uh, in that passage, one of the things that David referred back to was something he had learned from one of the ancients. He had an opportunity to kill Saul and didn't take it. Mm -hmm. And he said one of the things that stopped him was specifically something he had been taught by the ancients mm. that had to do with not taking vengeance. Right. And I, I really made a big deal out of that church because I think as a society we need to slow down and reintroduce our young people to their elders. They need to know their grandfather and their grandmother. And if they have one, a great-grandfather and grandmother, they need to know their older uncles and their older aunts. And they need to know the older people in their community, in their church. And they need to be taught that those people are valuable, that they're not just old people that can't do anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And they need to learn what those people have done and have respect for what they've done and the difficulty. Yeah. 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 You know, I think the – what I heard elders say, I, I kept prodding them saying, hey, can you think of a story or can you think of a uh, – what was the most meaningful parts of your bear hunting? He said he wouldn't trade anything for what he learned. That was what he said. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you can tell elders just getting to the point where life's kind of becoming, it's kind of distilling down into the essentials. And he kept going back to the relationships that he built inside of hunting. Did you notice that? It did. I did. I that noticed kind of that surprised me. Because... Nine out of ten hound people you talk to, you ask them why you hunt, they're going to say the dogs. Right. Some of them wouldn't even hunt bear if if it wasn't for the dogs. Yeah. But elders kept saying his friends. Yeah. His buddies and and naming them. Yeah. And the and the friendships and the joy he had with those people, and I think that's I think that's a little different about elders from a lot of folks. Yeah. Well, but I think what he tapped into there is something that. It's sometimes wrongly skewed inside of people where rather than those relationships being healthy, those relationships become competitive or there's jealousy or something. Mm -hmm. But I was talking with a gentleman yesterday right here in Tennessee, and essentially we came to the same place was that the relationships that were built through whatever medium, you know, I mean, in, inside of the bear hound world, you can't do it on your own. No man is an island if he's going to be successful and last. We talked about that mm -hmm. with hounds and breeding and stuff. And and you depend on people. You can't. You can have the best dogs in the country, a truck full of them, and go out in these mountains. Just you and your gun and that truck full of dogs, and you're not probably going to kill very many bear. Am I right? I mean, it takes it takes a lot of people. And and what we distilled down. And what I saw inside of this this gentleman I was talking to was that he valued those people. He actually teared up. He 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 shed a tear on our podcast. Yeah, well, talking about some of the men that he'd hunted with. When he was thinking about the ones that were already gone, he he said a couple times, "I miss them." Yeah, elders did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, to me, what that does as a middle-aged man here, I, a few years ago, I would have thought I was young, but now I'm, mm. I'm officially in the middle age, in the middle, is that we can get so focused on uh, on the on the fruit, on the product of what we're doing, you know, which obviously I'm here because I like bear dogs and bear hunting. That's what drew me and you together. That's the reason I'm in East Tennessee. So th- there, there always is a thing that you're after. But what it makes me do is I want to slow down and pay more attention to the to the relationships that I've got with people and make sure that I'm not burning over stuff in pursuit of an end goal. And then when I'm 85, I look back and realize I had a lot of burned bridges or, or I hadn't fostered a relationship because ultimately those people are what give value to what you do. I mean – in my bear hunting, if I could tell no one what I did, I, I probably, I don't know if I would do it or not. I mean, as much as there's an inner desire and this native desire to hunt, a lot of the value that comes from hunting comes from sharing it with people, you know? I think one of the most important things out of listening to him today is not something he said, and it's something that your listeners won't be able to see, and that was the joy on his face. Yeah. When he was talking about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could tell that there, his face just was like going to glow yeah. because of how much he enjoyed it, how fun it was to him. And he said, if you can't have fun, stay home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, his face really did light up. He had, <laughs> uh, he had bright blue eyes, didn't he? And he, uh, when he smiled, you could. It, it was almost like he was young. You, I, I, mm-hmm. It's like he he was kind of this old man, and then when he smiled, he just kind of he kind of lit up. But, well, I think there's. Well, I'm con, I'm continuing to search for for why I have why I place value on guys like him. Well. I think one of the difficult things about being middle-aged like you you were talking about earlier is the men that you grew up with and that you respected and that you think a lot of, some of them have passed away and some of them are near in that place. And you're finally old enough to realize what a privilege it was to grow up around these men and that kind of men because they're, right. they're scarce yeah. in our society. Those kinds of men are scarce. Yeah, and I I think about it, and I think about you know it's hard to watch the old bulls go down. It's hard mm-hmm. to watch the old lions go down. But then again, what a privilege it was to live with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we may never be exactly the kind of men they are, but at least we knew them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and I think for for our time though we can be. You know, I mean, we we live in a whole different set of challenges, Tracy, and you know it. We've talked about it than they did. I mean, so inside of the challenges that we, you know they they challenged, they were challenged by the physical elements and the toughness of life and poverty and and big mountains and and our challenge is now different, but we still have the opportunity to walk through life in a noble way and you know so i mean i I see i see these old guys and i'm like i want to be like them not i won't be i won't i won't be just like them because my life was different i grew up in a different time but i want to i want to be honorable when i'm old i want to have given my best i want to have uh you know lived ultimately lived a life that i felt like was pleasing to god well, I like the the series or whatever you call it that you're doing here, where you're finding these older men and getting them recorded so that we have them have it saved. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, thank you for thank you for for hosting me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Yeah. As you walk into Mr. Eldridge's house, he's got some bear mounts he's got bear hides he's got some old old tarnished deer antlers around 
It's a place where, where you know you're walking into the house of somebody who's dedicated their life to the outdoors. When you look off his front porch, you can look about about eight miles, and you can see big Appalachian mountains. One of the mountains is Viking Mountain, and those are the mountains that Eldridge hunted. And uh, he said that he could blow his horn off his front porch, and those dogs could hear him from eight to ten miles away, blowing his hunter's horn, and those dogs would come back. You're going to appreciate Eldridge Cutshaw. Well, in, in our family, when my grandfather died, uh, we started a tradition that anybody in our family that was a hound hunter when they die, we bring the hunting horn to the graveside service, and the last thing we do before we bury them is my son blows that horn, and it's symbolic to us that as we lay them to rest, that we're calling their dogs in for the last time. So you could hear it for a long ways, huh? Yeah. Ten miles, you think? Yeah, you can. Wow. Did you use you use one of those to call your dogs? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about these horns. What did people use them for? Well, mostly it was back years ago. It was fox hunters that used them, and they yeah. used them to call their dogs in uh, whenever they was done hunting. You know, no GPS, no telemetry, and they could blow their horn and call the dogs in just like Eldridge just said that from his yard you could hear this he said all the way to Old Forge and that's what 10 mile across there yeah. to Old Forge really you could hear that for 10 miles well yeah. they carry through the mountains mm. great what what county are we in are we in Green County Green County Green County Tennessee which borders North Carolina all right yeah it's across some Shepard, will you shut that door? Just across the top of that mountain. It's North, North Carolina. In North Carolina. Yeah. So we're in Greene County, Tennessee, near Greenville. And uh, I'm here with uh, with Mr. Eldridge Cutshaw and Tracy Jones. Uh, Tracy's been on the podcast before. We We talked with him last year. But thank you so much for letting us come and visit with you. Mr. Eldridge, really a pleasure. You're, you're welcome. You come, you come highly spoken of by, by Tracy for sure. Tracy, why don't will you tell me how you know Mr. Eldridge? Well, I know Eldridge through my papa and my daddy. Right, they hunted together back years ago and for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And so, you told me something on the way here that. Most of the people that would have bear hunted with hounds in this part of in this part of the country in this county would have would have learned to bear hunt from 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 Barry Tarleton, your grandfather, and uh, and Mr. Eldridge, and and who else? Well, I'm I putting words in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I wouldn't say everybody but i think a lot of people around here would say they got their start with eldridge or with layman rice or with barry Tarleton, one of the three yeah not everybody but a lot wouldn't you a say lot, a lot of them didn't yeah. care yeah <laughs> <laughs> when did you start bear hunting back when i was uh, early 20s yeah yeah i was about 21 years old hmm were there many people bear hunting at that time? Several people, but there wasn't as many bear. Yeah. If you found one, you better stay after it or somebody else would get him. Yeah. But I've killed it with I've killed bear with a stick. Mm. I got a pole out there in a smokehouse and boys put it and brought it back from Canada. Well I knocked it out with one of them old green liquor bottles. <laughs> and put a, <laughs> I put a rope on it to drag it out, and it come back too. 
Mm. I got that pole. He didn't get up there no more. <laughs> oh man! So did did you not have a gun with you? I didn't have it with me. Used a green liquor bottle. That's a first for me. <laughs> how about you, Tracy? I knocked it out. So how did you uh, how did you get your start in bear hunting? Like, where did you get your dogs and? And uh, how'd you get going? My dad-in-law lived in Cassia. And he had two walker dogs. He told me, I said, if you want two bear dogs, you better get them off of Junior. That's my brother-in-law. I gave him $35 for both of them. My neighbor's bear dogs. Mm. They trained herself in that reserve. Mm. They go on. Run a while and come back. What kind of dogs were they? Uh, box dogs and walkers. Yeah. Crossed. A lot of guys were using just running dogs back in those days. If they didn't run it, they'd use it. Yeah. Which, uh, to me, I don't care if it's a feist if they'll run it. Barry, he was particular. <laughs> I get tickled at him. Hmm. He didn't want to put it in the back of his truck if it was white. He said, get them on white and hire on my dollars. We aggravated him death. Mm. But that's a part of our own fun. Yeah. If you can't have fun, you're better off home. Yeah, yeah. So what you're describing to maybe somebody that wouldn't understand bear hunting is that Mr. Barry liked hunting plot hounds. He had a specific yeah. breed of dog that he liked, and 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 so you guys gave each other a hard time about the different breeds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Simon, mean, he had um, what kind of dog was old Gypsy? I don't know. She was a good dog, bar dog. We got her on a bar, but now she'd run a deer. I told Clay when we passed Layman's house that that was one of the hardest bear hunters that I ever knew. Mr. Eldridge, what, uh, to, to go back to a little bit of history on you, what kind of work did you do? Farm mostly. Cattle farmed or what kind of farming? Milks, cows. Really? Dairy farms right here? Yeah. Yeah. So you were born and raised in Greene County? Yeah. So did that allot you a lot of time to hunt? We're, we're sitting in your living room here and I'm seeing, uh, mounted deer, lots of, Tennessee mountain bucks looks like bear hides. You 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 got to do a lot of hunting. Yep. What was your what were you most passionate about inside of inside of hunting? Hunting was my sport. You liked yeah. hearing those dogs run, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah, I still do. Yeah, I like to hear them dogs run. I don't care if I never kill them. And just hear the dogs run. You uh, pointed out that bear over there on the wall before Clay started talking to you there a few minutes ago, and you said that is that the first bear you ever killed there. What's what, the, what's the story on that one, Elder? Fifteen and three quarter years old. Hmm. That's what the biologist told you. Yeah. What year was that? Sixties. Yeah. Killed it in Norton Branch, behind Camp Creek School. Yeah. Just right up the creek from behind where they hold plot days now. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, was that the first bear that your dogs ever caught for you and treed and you were able to kill, or did you did no. you kill that bear in a different way? Wasn't the first, and I don't know how many they treed before. They treed several before. I just got to the tree first and killed it. Okay. Yeah. Well... Our northern branch of spring, there's waterfalls. He come around the end of that waterfall, come around there where I was at. I shot it. It went straight down and come up just like it went down. And I shot it again. It went straight down. I shot it three times. And it stuck its head right between its hind legs, come rolling at me like a baseball. 
I thought if you roll down here and open your mouth, I'll poke this gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. Mm. There's no sound bar. And beside it was killed on Viking. That's Terry mounted it. You talking about my dad? Oh, okay. Okay. These mountains are pretty rough. You you must have been in really good shape and could move around these mountains pretty good. Yeah, I could. I told him today, GPS, that's cheating. Hmm. Oh, we didn't used to have them. Yeah. <laughs> we went on foot. Yeah. Of course, the GPS is all right. If they were use them right, use them to get in front of the bar, they can get it. How did you used to navigate the mountains without a, you just, you just had to know the mountains. Yeah. You can't beat anybody on their own land. I'd kill 50 some. I don't care whether I ever kill them or not. Of course, the coyotes and stuff is going to take over. Hogs. You think they're they're hurting part of the, hurting the bear, you think? Yeah. Well, they hog will eat anything. Or eating a uh, mice up from a hog or from my bear. But they're everywhere now. Bear is out in the country everywhere. Mm-hmm. How how did you used to find a bear track? Now, yeah. now there's so many bears, it's it's a little bit easier to to find a track. How would you guys hunt? Just get us a dog and hit that trail. So just on foot, free casting oh, the dogs. Leading, yeah. that, leading that dog. Leading the dog. You don't own a track, practically. Sometimes you wouldn't. So you would you'd take a good trail dog or cold nosed dog or a couple and just head off in a area that you felt like was good. Yep. What'd you do after you found the track, Eldridge? Well, bring some more dogs. Turn them all loose. You hear a racket then. <laughs> and then you'd have to follow them just by by sound. Is that right? See, the bar sanctuary is just on the left, right up that road there. Mm-hmm. Horse Creek, then Squib Creek, Cash Eye, and all the other. And we have turned the dogs loose in Green Mountain and pick them up in Rocky Fork. Same day. How far is that? It's a long ways. Yeah. How many miles on foot would you walk on a in a day on a bear hunt in these mountains? Uh, I'd say five or six miles. Anyway. Yeah. Maybe more. I bet it was more. But I wouldn't take nothing from what I've learned. We was up there in Canada. Me and Melvin Lamb went around on the backside of the dump. You just take your dogs up there and turn them loose, and mm-hmm. they don't know what they'd come out of there with. Well, we turned them loose and caught them all, all of them but one. That's berries. They run out. Got by. It's hard to catch them all. Mm-hmm. I told them, I said, I'll catch it. I caught it. It went to this man's yard. I come out, I didn't come back out the way I went in. But that fellow was a giving bury down the road. He was a cussing and going on. But it didn't bother bury. He just let him go. He cooled off a little. He ain't eating out of his hand before he left. <laughs> That's the kind of man bury down was. What was that dog running? A fox. <laughs> yeah. That's a red fox. <laughs> what what are some of your favorite memories of bear hunting? I guess being around my buddies. Yeah. I miss them. You know, I I hear inside of the hound hunting community there's a there's a unique thing that's not in all of big game hunting. And that is, there's a lot of deep relationships that are built between people. I mean, and not to say that there's not those friendships built in other kinds of hunting, but to be a successful bear hunter, you're usually hunting with other people. And if you're hunting with those people, they're going to be like-minded people with you. They're going to be people you trust. They're going to be people that you value. And yesterday we were talking to a, 
older gentleman that was a bear hunter. And after talking to him for an hour, that's the conclusion that I came to was just hearing him talk was a lot of the value inside of the hunting was, was his buddies, was the people that he spent his life, you know, breeding dogs with and, and hunting with. And would you, would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite dog you ever had, Eldridge? I guess that I've had some good dogs. That walk dog. Hey, Foxhound. He runs catch it. Is this him right here? The one yeah. you called Rock? Yeah. He'd bite you if he'd bite me. If I whooped another dog and he'd get to me, he'd bite me. He took up for his besties. Is that right? <laughs> what did you like best in a good bear dog? What would be, how would you describe one? If you were describing a dog to somebody that didn't know anything about bear hunting with hounds, what would you describe the traits that you'd want to see in a good bear dog? And stick with it. I had a red tick, one header busted or inside. The vet and they sold it up. And the vet told me, he said, Now you may go get that dog and or be a land or dead. And that's what happened. I hunted her one day, went to get her the next day to start, and she's laying there dead. Hmm. She's real dog. Takes a lot of, a lot of drive these dogs have to have, isn't it? Yep. I come to her quitting that time. I lost that red tick. Do you think the dogs that folks are hunting today are as good as the ones that you used to hunt, or do you think the older dogs are better than what they hunt now, Eldridge? They're better, really. The ones now are better? No, older. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess because uh, they're hunting more. We ain't got a long enough season here. Game Morton says we're not killing enough bear, but the season ain't long enough. These old mountains are getting thicker. So you think the people used to hunt more? They used to hunt for longer periods of time, so their dogs dogs had a chance to be better. Better, better yeah, yeah. More you hunt them, the better they get. Yeah. Eldridge, you was talking about your buddies a few minutes ago. Who were some of the people you hunted with that you really had a good time with? Your daddy, Barry. I hunted with a lot of good people. You ain't gonna agree all the time. When when is the last time you hunted? Did you did you keep dogs and hunt until just recently? Three or four lives. I got rid of my dogs. Is that right? I've got one. Somebody run over, broke both hind legs, costing nearly two thousand dollars vet bill. She still runs, though. Okay, so you still got one. You still like to get out and listen, though, when you feel like it, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah. So you're still getting out and driving around and listening to some of the races around if here. I, if I can get out, I'm there. Yeah. You coon hunted a lot, too, didn't you, yeah. Eldridge? Yeah. I like coon hunting. Would you use the same dogs or different yeah. dogs? You use the same dogs. Them dogs learns it. You think they know when you turn them yeah. loose at night, the tree coon? Yeah. Really? Dogs smarter than people think they are. Yeah, I've walked from Viking down to the old home place. Just get in just a little before they lie. And get up more the next day. You walk mm-hmm. from your home place up to Viking. Oh, back. My dad takes over and lets us out. We coon up back. How from the top down? From the top down? Yeah. Would you go out to the Appalachian Trail? Yeah. And then go down Jennings Creek? Yeah. How far is that? Well, by miles. It ain't that many miles, but it's... Be pretty rough climbing up and down them ridges. Yeah. How many coons would you get on a hunt like that? Well, one. 
Really, uh, just maybe just get one. Stay out all night long. Now, was the coon worth quite a bit back then, a coon hide? No. Oh, it wasn't. What kind of lights would you use? Old lantern. Lantern. Hmm. You carry a rifle with you? Yeah. An old coon, he'll go from one creek to another. They travel a long way. A bob's or bobcat's horse thing to get after. Hard to tree. You jump out when you get there near that. Hmm. Did you ever catch any? I've caught two in my life. Hmm. How did you deer hunt? All these deer. Did these deer come off public land around here? Yeah. Just go and sit down and be quiet and be still. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. Did you like to hunt? Uh, what kind of areas were you looking for? Would you hunt in gaps on top of the mountain or? Most of the time. About halfway up. Hmm. What kind of rifle did you carry bear hunting, Eldridge? Uh, Remington. I like 220 grain bullet. That's like throwing a big rock and a little rock. <laughs> did you use a lever action or a bolt action no, no, automatic automatic uh, still got it yeah did you carry the same rifle deer hunting yeah iron sights yeah well i put the scope on it so look through to see if it's got horns or not mm. and i draw i had to see through mounts Drop down. Mm -hmm. What was the story you told me that time, Eldridge, about the bargains killed back on the lake? Oh, we went up there. Well, your papa had left and come home. They hadn't killed none. And every bear that we turned loose on would run off and leave us. I told Bill Carter, I said, now take them old dogs over, turn them loose first. And I'll take the ones that I can pack good. When they get in here, and I'll turn them loose. And I did, and we got to kill them. I forget how many we killed. And the other person, they run, got away from us. There's no rock quarry there. I climb up on top of that rock quarry. I thought I heard him. I sat down and smoked my cigarette. I told him, I hollered on the radio and told him I believe I'd found him. I went over to the next little ridge, sat down and smoked another cigarette, and I could hear him playing. When I got there, I laid the dog dead, and Bill Carter's dog. I couldn't find that in the mine. I'd drive back up Canada and get him. And... That bar hit. I started uh, down the side of the lake. I shot that one out. I started down the side of the lake. Had the beaver down to get out across on. And he run that nick away down. That's that walker dog, my. Old Walker, he'd jump at it, miss it, and he'd plug right in that lake. He'd go and I'd swim back out. He'd run that neck down to, to try to get him, that dog. When he did, I let him have it. He fell in the lake, but he didn't sink much. Pretty shallow. Did you hunt anywhere? Outside of here, except other than Ken, did you go to New Mexico or yeah. out there one time? They were off the left end of Mexico City. How, how'd that happen? <laughs> well, I drove like one of the, I told him, I said, don't run off and leave me. This, this car ain't half running. They took it out to Chevrolet place to fix it. And the rest of us are going to wait there at that store, I thought. Well, while I was out there, 
I went to the bathroom, and they just come out and got in the vehicle and left. I got on a, there's somebody pulled in there, had a CB. I got on that radio and I hollered, hooped and hollered. <laughs> Finally, Barry heard me. <laughs> and he said, who we got out here that knows us all? <laughs> and Layman come back and got me. <laughs> so they, y'all went out there bear hunting. And you you were driving two separate vehicles, uh, three, and but but they they left, yeah. And your car was broke down. They took a car out there and had his uh, private investigators trying to trap us into selling fire parts. Oh. Their car. Can you tell me about that? They, they come here and read me my rights. I said, I don't care. You can read me my rights. I ain't got nothing. Or I ain't done nothing. I never did hear tell them no more. Mm. They, they sort of tricked you into getting yeah. out there and then trying to set you up, didn't they? Yeah, that's what they've done. Now, that was during a time when they were trying to... Tracy... What, they, they, were, they were trying to catch people selling bear parts. Yeah. And so they sent private like undercover guys into some of these areas. Gallbladders. Mm-hmm. And so this guy kind of became your friend here. I didn't trust him. Really? Right off the bat, you didn't trust him? You could tell. Mm. Hey, get drunk, come in drunk, everything. And then so once you got out there, what did he, how, how did you guys know that it, he was trying to set you up? I tell him. No, he was acting and blowing. You can tell. Hmm. But I never did sell no gallbladder or nothing. You didn't have anything to hide? No. I stayed all night in their car. It tore up on top of that mountain. I stayed all night in that thing. Slept under two sleeping bags. And then them do this that way. That, that was common back in years ago where they would catch some people you know like they ought to have and you know doing something that was illegal then a lot of they did was just set people up and yeah. trap them yeah layman mm-hmm. well, he got lost up our candle was and he gave up he just give up pull that sweater down over his head to keep them flies off head Finally got, we finally got him out of there. He got lost? Yeah. You get turned around if you get careful. Well, there was no GPS back then or nothing. Uh, All you uh, have is a compass, wasn't it? We didn't need to have a compass. Mm. All right, that fellow's probably stayed. He's a German or a foreigner or some kind. He told us to get us to take guide. Go with us. He left the next day. He left, went somewhere. When he come back, I never got a rug I made out of him. Had it hanging up in a tree and another naming them kill. He looked at us and he said, "Why you crazy, son of bitches?" I'll never forget it. They been people wearing nards, never come out. He couldn't mm. believe y'all went back in that, could he? Uh, he couldn't believe it. Mm. I never did worry about getting lost. If you keep it pictured in your mind, you turn right, left, turn, I mean, you know, you won't get lost. Come back the way you went. So you never had any trouble with directions like uh, that? So you just, you envisioned... You just kind of kept track of what you did. It was that simple, huh? Yeah. You look at a map first. I didn't have a map. Didn't have a map. Didn't have a map. Uh, you earlier you said you wouldn't you wouldn't trade anything for the for what you've learned out bear hunting. What uh, what was your favorite part of it all? Listening to people talk, I guess. Really? <laughs> Just enjoying yourself. 
Yep. I had a good bunch of hunting with. What did you learn about a bear? Be careful and watch him. You know, oh, it's a bear. <laughs> <coughs> if you get him down, don't let him up. They will hurt you. Did you ever get hurt by a bear? Uh, no, and I have shot them, but just I've shot them more or less. Just mm -hmm. big gun down here. I don't know how many I've killed that way. Seems like when you shoot one, don't kill it right there. It'll come toward you every time, nearly. What would you say to young bear hunters these days? What advice would you give them? Listen. You learn by listening. Mm. A lot of stuff. Pay attention to your dogs. That's good advice. Well, them dogs can smell that bar and you can't. <laughs> yeah. And check and make sure they're after a bar. Mm -hmm. Well, in, are there any other stories you'd like to tell us? I can't think of any. Yeah. Pretty sure they are if I can think of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting us come and talk to you today. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Tracy, can you can you think of anything else? Yeah. We've killed bear up there right up there on that hill. Pine that barn. Mm. Well, thank you so much for letting us come in. Our yeah. pleasure to talk you're, with you. You're welcome. And uh you're what you did as a young man and, and it was just throughout your life was was something that uh not a lot of people not a lot of people have done hunting these mountains in this part of the country rough country a real bear hunter that's 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 a valuable thing i think was you, was your dad a a dog hunter too eldridge yeah, yeah he liked tuna i've been hunting with well, i started out with him when I was little, he retreated possum down there in that old field below old home place. He climbed my tree and put the possum in the sack and not let the dogs bite it, you know, and tear its hide up. I was scared to death. I was afraid something would get me. Hmm. That's how little I was. When you were growing up, did you have electricity and... Uh... What year were you born in? 34. 1934. Did y'all have electricity at your house no, when you were born? No. No? I had to put in. Did you have an indoor bathroom or an outhouse? Outhouse. Was your daddy a farmer too? Is that how he made a living? Yeah, and he's all-time sheriffing, like Burry. I didn't know that. Hmm. Him various big buddies. What was your daddy's name? Lovejoy. Lovejoy. Yeah. Really? That's one word? Two? Two words together, I mean. Lovejoy. Lovejoy. I'll be darned. He's part Indian. Cherokee? I don't know. Just part Indian's all I know. <laughs> She said your daddy used to hunt down moonshine stills yeah, and bust he them. Did. Mm -hmm. And he used to make it himself, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, <coughs> well. well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Really do. Thank you. Thank you. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. 
They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.